Right, so I'll start with my standard question, which is, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> um, surprisingly, um, an astronaut, would you believe? <laughs> <laughs> that was like the, the very first thing. You know, when people ask you oh, what you want to be when you grow up, and I say as a, a little kid, um, yeah, astronaut was uh, top of the list. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. still fancy it? Um, I'd say probably not now because there's a lot <laughs> that goes into being an astronaut. You can't just like rock up and say, hey, can I be an astronaut? You have to <laughs> all kinds of training and stuff. Um, yeah. But you still wouldn't t turn up uh, the chance for sort of commercial commercial space travel and the chance to see space. Oh, no, no, yeah, as I say, when that comes available, yes, that's on your copy. Yeah, happy to go and take a look. Leads, leads, leads. What is happening? Welcome to episode 20 of Working Hours, a show about a place called Leeds, a time called now, and an activity called work. My name is Simon, and you're listening to my guest, Richard Firth. This is another Zoom interview recorded on the 5th of July 2021. Richard Firth is Managing Director of Daisy Touch Limited. Daisy Touch started in 2020 to provide accessibility and consultancy services to businesses so that they are better equipped to support the needs of their disabled staff and disabled customers. There are an estimated 14.1 million disabled people in the UK. Meanwhile, around 100,000 people in the UK become disabled each year. Roughly one in every five adults of working age considers themselves to be disabled. While the spending power of disabled people is worth approximately 249 billion annually. However, disabled people regularly encounter issues with poor access to both products and services. You can find out more about Daisy Touch at daisytouch.com. If you're a lawyer and you're listening to this and you think you might be able to answer questions that you already know all the answers to, then please get in touch with me to arrange a time for us to record for this show. Email me at workinghourspod at western-studios.com with a short bio and some suggestions of your availability. Also, drop me a line if you have any queries or feedback, complaints or compliments. If you can be generous and wonderful enough to leave me a review, then please do so. I still haven't had any feedback, so it would be really great to see any. If you can leave me a really good review, that would be really good. So what is it you do now then? So I started Daisy Touch last year, uh, mm -hmm. of the pandemic, which <laughs> has been challenging, shall we say. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you obviously weren't planning to start a business in the middle of a pandemic, so. No. Uh, um, when, when did you actually begin the planning? Did, was it sort of you just started getting going with the business and then we hit lockdown or how did it go? I guess I started planning the business at like the end, back in the two, 2019. So I say plans started moving forward, then it's like the pandemic hit, but at that point, it, it was kind of, I was a bit kind of like past the point of no return, if you know what I mean. It was kind of like, yeah. if I'm going to do it, I need to do it now. So yeah. it's it kind of kind of bad timing, really, for the pandemic and where it was in terms of my plan in the business. So, yeah. So are there, have there been any upsides to sort of starting in the pandemic? I suppose it kind of, it, you know, started in the middle of a crisis makes you a bit more resilient, I would expect or hope. Yeah, I mean, it, I would guess it has really taught me sort of like how bad things could get. And um, 
I think, as I say, the, the only way it does seem to be up from here. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what what is it that Daisy Touch does? What what are you doing with the business? Well, originally when I thought about setting it up and got it set up, I was sort of um, focusing on doing digital accessible formats like digital braille, um, audio description, kind of like audio dictation, that kind of thing, uh, EPUB books. It's like with things being as they are now, I'm kind of pivoting the business a little bit and sort of like looking at maybe delivering training and maybe doing some app development on the side just to kind of to get, get some funds in from elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Kind of broaden kind of like my, my service offerings, as it were. So who are your sort of clients at the moment? Like, are you, did you start with sort of a broad client base in mind and then you've narrowed it down to more of a niche or did you start with more of a niche and it's kind of broadened out? Which way is it gone? I would probably say my, my original kind of ideas in terms of clients was a, a bit niche. It was looking at kind of more like, book publishers, established kind of media production houses, publishing houses, that kind of thing. And just seeing what services I could offer to them to like broaden what products they could eventually offer to their kind of end customers. So do you have quite a technical background then? So I'm assuming this is, it's all going to be software and it's either for websites or for businesses internally, I would suppose as well. Yeah, as I said, the kind of getting into app development was something I, I originally considered when I was formulating the business, but at the time I didn't think it was kind of the way forward for me, but I will see with, with things being as they are, business has been quite slow with what I was looking to get into. So I'm going back to the drawing board as it were, just thinking of what else can I offer mm-hmm. in terms of um, accessibility products and accessibility applications to businesses that may be looking to maybe diversify their offerings. Mm. So could you do could you do sort of site reports as well? You could sort of visit a, a business or a, a you know a premises and sort of say, right, well you could make these changes to it because I know there's people have to start making more effort to make disabled access included in their buildings now, don't they? Because the the disability act is sort of their their framework to act on that is getting closer and closer. Is that correct? Yeah, because in terms of, say, museums and art galleries, accessibility can be quite patchy. Some are really on the ball in terms of being inclusive and making sure that their kind of attractions or galleries appeal to a wide audience of customers, but others really struggle and basically they may be like one of the best galleries, but if they're not accessible, it's they're kind of like turning away a complete customer sector because of the fact yeah, that can access their offerings. Could maybe just make a few small changes that could make a big difference. So it's kind of looking at what, what do these businesses offer now and what could they offer and basically how do they get from A to B? Mm. What, what experience do you have then on the non-technical side in terms of like have you done your own sort of consultancy work around access and so on or is this just from previous experience or what's what's your expertise in this regard i won't really call myself an expert but uh, i mean i am a disabled person myself so i'm hyper aware of accessibility issues that say mm-hmm. someone like yourself or maybe other people maybe aren't quite as aware 
the things that could be done to make places accessible that aren't currently accessible. Because it, it's um, when we talk when we talk about accessibility, it can mean a wide range of kind of things to different people. Because obviously, there's a wide range of disabilities. So it could be making things more accessible for hearing impaired or deaf people, or maybe looking at how things could be better for visually impaired people. Mm. And it, it's just making sure that you are kind of being as inclusive as possible and sort of attracting the widest customer base. Mm. A lot of disabled people report problems with uh, retail businesses as well. And the fact that if they're not accessible, it turns them off visiting these businesses and I mean, disabled people that they have quite a lot of spending power that a lot of businesses don't tap into because they're not making the effort to reach these disabled customers because I'd say the spending power of disabled people per year in, in the UK is about £269 million. So that is quite a big customer sector that these businesses are missing out on. Yeah. And as well, their families as well, because if they're going out, if they're going out with a family and there's one person within a group or any sort of group that cannot access the facilities, then that sort of impacts it for everybody else as well. Yeah. And there seems to be a lot of reliance as well as um, on technology being as the... Um, the fix-all. Yeah. Kind of like technology being like the ultimate solution to everything. And unfortunately, it's just not there. Either the technology doesn't exist or it's not mature enough or it's not the kind of most effective way to be accessible. So it's kind of looking at the technical changes but also the non-technical as well and just making sure that you're not over relying on technical issues to solve non-technical problems so what are the sort of what are what are the kind of headline areas or the main key areas or the things that like people should be aware of whether they're in business or they're starting a business for themselves or even just using a business what are the sort of key key areas that that you would highlight yeah, there seems to be a lot of uh, either misunderstanding or just a lack of knowledge of what the Equality Act 2010 says about disabled people and what re what counts as a reasonable adjustment. So mm -hmm. it's um, there's kind of a long running problem with taxi companies not um, accepting guide dogs, which they legally have to do. They're not doing it. And it just causes a lot of... Um, bad blood between disabled customers with guide dogs and taxi companies mm. because for a lot of disabled people they they don't have the independent mobility so they're relying on public transport private car yeah. private hire and if they can't access these services it cuts them off from the outside world mm. what kind of recourse do they have for that i mean other than complaining to the sort of company itself is there any sort of comeback for that yeah, I mean, they could take the companies to court, but again, that's like more expense, more time, and it's just a hassle. And it, if these customers just had the money, obviously they could take them to court left, right, and centre, but a lot of disabled people don't have the money to do that. So yeah, they kind of have to rely on the businesses to kind of pull their own socks up. Yeah. And it just seems like unless it hits the headlines, these businesses will just carry on doing as, as 
what they have been and just ignoring the needs of their disabled customers. Mm. Yeah, the, the, the range of disabilities is vast and the, 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 the times in life that it can affect people as well is vast, you know. Um, so people can be born with disabilities or get disabilities or, you know, become injured or develop chronic conditions later in life. So it affects so many people across the board in so many different ways. You would think that there would be more attention paid to it as to like, you know, we try to make things as accessible as possible to everyone, as you say, in, in terms of what you're trying to do for your business. But it's, um, it's not as easy as it should be, is it? And I suppose that's kind of where you come in because it's like, it should be easier to make all this stuff happen. Yeah, absolutely, Sam. Because I mean, for the majority of disabled people aren't born disabled, they, they acquire it in later life. As of 2019, about one in five adults of working age had a disability. The figures aren't exactly known, but it's estimated around 100,000 people per year in the UK acquire a disability through whatever reason. Either it's something they acquire through accident, injury, or something else. The percentage of the population that is disabled is projected to actually grow as people get older. If businesses aren't grabbing the mantle now and looking at how they can support these people now, it's only going to be a problem that's going to get worse for businesses and turn these customers off business. I mean, I suppose in terms of accessing services, you've got the physical access of services, like going into shops, going into a business, and then you've got access by audiovisual, which, you know, either telephone or video calls or, you know, media of some sort. So I'm guessing are they the main focus of your of your business? They're the areas that you look at most of all, so like the physical presence and then the, the media access. Yeah, I mean, there is that appeal to me because I, I have a visually impaired and lots and lots of physical mobility issues. So I'm the I'm kind of closely connected with those particular areas. So they're kind of my strengths because I have the most experience in those areas. Mm. Had you done work in this area before then? Had you worked for sort of other businesses doing this kind of work and, and advisory or this was just a gap in the market that you're like, this is really needed? Um, no, I mean, I'm actually from an IT background, uh, Simon. I um, was, yeah, I did the IT for about 10 plus years before I started up Dirty Touch. And I ended up losing my job and it was just then I thought to myself, okay, what? can I do that's not IT, but it's something I'm knowledgeable about. And it just kind of occurred to me that there was a gap, like you say, for kind of disability related consultancy work uh, in that business. And mm -hmm. if, I, if I, I stepped into the market, I could offer my services and help businesses make a real difference to disabled people. Yeah. Your IT background, were you, were you, coding were you infrastructure were you sort of design what what aspects were you working in it um primarily um support i worked for a, a large public sector organization uh, in their it department uh, mm. the majority of my it career that was my kind of area of expertise in terms of it but i say when, when i lost my job i was kind of a bit fed up as it were with it because it's kind of a lifelong learning thing. And if you don't yeah. work with latest technologies, 
it can be hard to get back into IT if you're away for a while. And I just thought I'd had it up and I just fancied a new challenge. And, it, and, and I guess, you know, it, it's something that you can draw on for this business because you know the ins and outs of how that, that kind of thing works. Yeah, c- custom service has been a big part of what I did at my IT roles and it, it's quite a good transferable skill. So you're doing all of this on your own for the for Daisy Touch at the moment? Yeah, it's just me uh, by myself. So how how has that been for you? Is it kind of just sort of a, a lonely slog? How's the motivation, especially through sort of lockdown and stuff and with business not being always there? Is it like, how hard has it been to keep going? Uh, it has been pretty challenging at times, Simon, to be honest. So there was times where I've been like in a really low place in terms of wanting to continue on with the business. So it's just kind of finding kind of the motivation and also asking people around me maybe if they could kind of give me a boost as it were. And I yeah. think that's been a big help is having advice and support around me to kind of get through these really tough times and keep myself focused. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the lockdown as well kind of puts, I, I, I don't know how it's been for you, but for me, it kind of puts you on a pause or at least in slow motion. So it's kind of like you're trying to do stuff on your business, but also you can't really do anything because you don't know who's open and you don't know who's in business and, you know, you don't know what's happening. And even if you ring somewhere or email somewhere, you don't always get a reply and that's kind of understandable sometimes. So it's, it is really difficult. Has it been better now we've been sort of a bit more open and out of lockdown? Has it picked up a bit? Yeah, because when, when everything was closed, it was kind of like mo- most of what I would call my target businesses were closed. So yeah, I yeah. couldn't like get out and do the things that I would need to do. But now that things are, as I say, are opening up again, it, it's opening up those opportunities for me at the same time. So it's, it's come at a good time, really. Yeah. And it helps you it helps you get your passion back when there's actually movement on it. It's like, oh, something's happening on this. So I you know, yeah. that that inspires you, I think. So we've done a bit of coverage of, of COVID and sort of going into that coming out. I mean, like in terms of isolation for yourself, did you you didn't have to isolate early or anything, or you you haven't had to take any extra precautions because like on top of the lockdown, have you through through lockdown? No, the um I've just been, for the most part, subject to the usual lockdown restrictions as everyone else. Um, yeah. My brother did get COVID a couple of months ago, so I had to do the whole self-isolating thing, but I didn't get it, so that was good yeah. at least. Has he come out of it all right? Or is he... Yeah. Yeah, good, good, good. You know, sort of setting up the business, what have you, what are the kind of lessons that you've taken from, obviously there's the, the kind of, hard lessons of covid but what are the kind of like just the sort of more straightforward lessons of setting up a business i mean there's there been things in these first how long have you been in trading now like a year every year this is month 10 that we're in now yeah so in terms of just sort of starting up the business i assume you've not started a business yourself before no i said this is the my first business and <laughs> yeah first time working for myself so it's so been, how's that how's it been uh it has been quite challenging there's been a lot of learning that i've had to do in terms of my role as a company director mm. in terms of what, what i have to do from like 
the, the legal requirements and all the other requirements. I was fortunate because I was unemployed before I started the business. I'd helped through the job centre, which was a big boon mm. in terms of having an advisor there who could help me like put my business plan together, um, formulate my cash flow forecast, then uh, make sure I, I asked myself the questions that needed to be answered before I actually um, did the paperwork and got the business off the ground. So that was really positive for me that I had that support there. I imagine that if you are, say, moving from, say, being employed to being self-employed, that would be a big kind of jump if you didn't have the people around you who maybe had the knowledge of being self-employed who could help you. Because, um, I was also fortunate that I, I have friends who are also self-employed and run their own companies who I could ask questions and just bounce ideas off. So that was a big help to me. And I think I was kind of fortunate that I was in that position. And then obviously there's other people who wouldn't be in that position who might struggle because they don't have that support network or friends who they can bounce their ideas on if they're going it alone. And especially, as you say, with, with the COVID lockdown, they, they could be in quite a lonely place because mm. obviously with, with the lockdown, all the usual support get-togethers and stuff, they've not happened or they've mm. been restricted to like online gatherings. And it's like for me, I've struggled to actually getting my business out there and getting myself known because all the usual networking events that you would normally have during the course of a year haven't yeah. happened. So it's that's been kind of another element of difficulty for not just me, but for other businesses this year, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. But like I say, it's kind of because, you know, nothing, nothing's been happening, so nothing can be done. Yeah. <laughs> or at the very least, it's very much dialed down. Uh, um, I mean, it sounds like you've had some... I mean, there's obviously things that have been keeping you going as well. What have been the little kind of wins? What have been the things that have made you happy as you've gone through the first few months of this? Probably say financial support, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. What about getting your website up and getting your domain and all of that, like getting your business cards or something like that? Yeah, um, the website, luckily I was able to get like, a managed WordPress which took care of all the hard work. I just had to come up with the content. Um, and luckily I, I had done a bit of website, website work in the past, like just as a personal thing. So it wasn't like I was going in without any knowledge of how to put a website together. So that was a help for me. And I'll probably say the, the website has been the main point of my kind of marketing. It's mostly been a case of trying to attract people to my website and daisytouch.com yep let's let's do the sort of you know your typical like imagining into the future sort of five years from now where do you want daisy touch to be i would want us to be the, the go-to if businesses are looking for disability consultancy staff training and um, other related services uh, around providing access to disabled people so are you going to realize like in terms of training are you going to be sort of designing and delivering all the training yourself as well i imagine so for the first few months at least absolutely so i mean yeah as i said because i'm disabled myself i know 
heard the pitfalls and the things to avoid and the, the things to do right. So um, the training that we put together will be self-designed and um, delivered at least, certainly by myself for at least the first few months. Yeah. Would that, I, I imagine you're going to have a remote offering for it, but would you be also doing sort of physical, like being on site and training people as well? Oh, absolutely, Simon. I'd say we're, hopefully when we get back to a normal or a new normal or whatever, um, and get back to um, physical meetings, I would certainly be happy to deliver those in person. Because uh, I think uh, people are kind of a bit, <laughs> a bit sick of all the Zoom meetings and team me Teams meetings, and uh, I think they're just looking to get back to some face-to-face -face kind of interaction in person. I mean, it's a big difference kind of speaking to someone through a screen and speaking to them kind of face-to-face -face in the same room. I mean, yeah. it gives you a, an easier chance to really connect with your audience. That I think um, a virtual gathering doesn't quite deliver in the same way. Yeah, you can you you feel the engagement more, don't you? You you, yeah. you get more feedback basically. You're getting more feedback signals from being physically present with someone. Yeah, like, you know, micro expressions, intonation, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, this this has its benefits sometimes. Yeah, I mean, virtual means obviously that they have the strengths as well as the weaknesses. I mean, it's like much easier to say convene an international conference of hundred people spread all across the world <laughs> on a Zoom yeah. meeting than it is physically getting them all into one place to have the same meeting. So. And there are accessibility benefits to it as well. The first time I saw someone using Skype to do sign language on, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a brilliant tool. It's like, you know, deaf people can have phone calls with each other now because of video calls. That's great, I think. Yeah, it's definitely up there in terms of being more, maybe a bit more accessible in some terms than a real life meeting would be because you can have say a deaf person could have um, a sign language interpreter who doesn't need to physically be in the room they can just join on the call listen in and do the signing on video that is maybe physically 100 miles thousand miles away from the actual person who is speaking in the meeting but there's some drawbacks as well for example if you were to say or if i was to um, share my screen with you now if you had a screen reader software you wouldn't be able to see the see the screen with the screen reader so yeah. certainly there is some challenges that need to be overcome for virtual meetings and accessibility so how would you cope with something like that would that be again putting someone putting like someone with an audio description in into the meeting or um you could maybe do it that way or possibly someone could develop a plugin that if you are sharing the screen actually acts as a screen reader that the, yeah. that the audience can hear who may need it that would yeah. be something on, to look into when some for someone to develop that kind yeah. of functionality much like also um has stepped in there for the auto captioning so yeah a similar products i think would be um a big boon for yeah providing more accessibility functionality to platforms like zoom or microsoft teams so do you think it is a question of, like this goes back to your sort of briefly touched upon earlier, like, you know, the technical fixes sort of thing. Because just from that little bit that we were talking about there, 
there's you know if you're putting a signer into a meeting that like that to me suggests more work for people you know if there are more people who are signing and uh, more signers in workplaces doing more work and they have that that ability to do that uh, and then there's people doing more sign language interpretation because of that you know that that makes sense doesn't it so that the more people sort of getting into the business is it do you think this is an area that could create a lot more work for people you know would create more jobs more more roles or is it like you say is it going to be more technical fixes which way do you think that would be do you think it's a mix of both or how how do you think that will play out i'd probably say a, a mix of both because i'd say te technology will always move forward there'll always be technological dictates but at the same time it, it's the these technological dictates still require a person at the other end to actually do the work it's not like say if you've got say an add-on that provides sign language you still need a person there to actually do the signing for you so certainly i think there's a lot of scope for existing accessibility providers to also expand what they can offer as well as the technological victories because as i said uh, unfortunately for accessibility that there is no magic bullets <laughs> so it's a case of listening to disabled people taking on board what it is they want what they want to see and working with them to provide um, services that benefit them and allow things to be as accessible as possible yeah i suppose that's going to be really bespoke and sort of discreet to each kind of business because different businesses are going to want to attract different people and are going to want to present in different ways so like you say it's not going to be one size fits all for the brands as well as just for, for all the people that they you know you're trying to improve their accessibility for all the different accessibility issues that occur how much have you got to sort of do on this in terms of actually getting onto the work so far like getting into the nitty-gritty what are the kind of things that you're seeing early on with the initial job yeah i mean a lot of people are still confused about how i can help them in terms of what it is they could be doing to improve themselves and where i step in and to provide that kind of training or consultancy i heard a i remember i did a training of one of my many jobs and it was a disability awareness training thing and the thing that they said that i thought was really great and that stuck with me and that i haven't managed to do for my business yet but i am it, it's present in my mind they were like if you can if you can get the the access the disability access stuff right you know if you start with that then you've got everything else right because if you're considering the people who can't access your services then that's that's your best starting point yeah i mean that's as as a community, disabled people can tend to be quite close knit. So, if you're if you're doing something well, and a disabled person finds out about it, they're going to tell all their friends. They're going to tell all their friends. And mm. if you get yourself known as being an accessible company, you you will attract, as I say, the this large tranche of disabled people who are maybe looking for your services but being turned off by other businesses that aren't accessible. So, if you can I've seen it nail the accessibility angle, then you've kind of got customers for life, as it were. Yeah, yeah. In terms of your social presence, I assume you're doing all these social media stuff yourself. Yeah, as I say, um, Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, if you would 
just type in Daisy Chips Limited, you'll find us. Um, but are you so? How are you? How are you kind of planning that? Is it? Uh, are you doing like video with subtitles, or like? Do, are you creating specific pieces of media for specific sort of accessibility niches, or how how are you going about it? Well, the plan was that I was going to do a blog, get that out on my social media. It's not quite gone to plan because I've had other priorities. Yeah. <laughs> The plan was to yeah, just keep keep updating my social media with new content and ultimately that will keep me visible because I'd say pages on social media, as long as you keep the content coming out, you'll get ranked higher. But if you stop, obviously you'll be deprioritized because you're not putting the new content out there. So you're not really appealing to yeah, customers and with these social media sites, they like to prioritize the content makers. Yeah, it'd be much easier to have, you know, it'll be much easier when you get to the point where you can have a person for each of these roles that you have to play. <laughs> yeah. Having to do them all yourself. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really hard kind of being the IT guy and the marketing guy <laughs> and everything else. It's like the, the, the amount of hats you have to bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll just i'll just pass you over to my estimator who's also me yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is our sales team who's also me yeah i'm gonna just put in my web design on oh no wait, that's me as well <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so so has any of this has any of the experience made you miss working in a job does it want do you want to go back into the world of like Oh, wasn't it nice to get a salary and you know have my tax paid and you know have have holidays sorted and things like that? Are you missing it? Uh, no, honestly, no. The, the freedom <laughs> is yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think I could go and be an employee as well. But just yeah, keep working for myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. I mean, I'll touch upon Brexit. I don't know how much that's going to affect you. Are you like for your services? Do you are you sort of? Is there pieces of kit that you're going to sell to people? Or are you just basically saying you need to do this, you need to do that on your reports, or are you like you're also offering sell through of like we will build this stairway or whatever? Um, no, as I say, I, I'm more about the consultancy rather than kind yeah. of getting the kit. And providing the kit. I mean, I will happily signpost people to where they can get the kit from, but yeah. there's kind of a lot of companies that do that already and that they're quite good at it. And uh, yeah, it would just be um, a bit more of a challenge than what I'm already facing. So I, I would rather just uh, do the consultancy and um, say, oh, by the way, if you want this kit, here's where you get it, kind of thing. Maybe in yeah, a Oh, well, I was going to say, in terms of sort of Brexit, if you, you know, obviously, if you were bringing in specialized pieces of equipment or anything like that, you might have some sort of supply issues. So, is this going to sort of see that would be something that would affect you? Um, I mean, in terms of in terms of Brexit and more people, I, I guess spending time, at, you know, sort of holidaying in the UK, but also COVID, also making people holiday at home. Um, I mean, 
have you seen much from the tourist industry about you know campsites or hotels or people sort of say Do you know what we need to kind of access more people and make make more hay out of this sunshine of more people having holidays at home not yet uh, that was a, um actually a, a business sector i was looking at targeting kind of like this month obviously we're, we're now into summer and people are looking at holidays and it's kind of, I think, predicted that people kind of staying here for the holidays will extend not only this year, but probably into the next year as well. So mm. certainly I think um, it's not going to be a particularly good time for the uh, foreign travel organisers for the next couple of years at least. So uh, I think that, that could inadvertently benefit me if these, say, UK-based operators are looking mm. at improving their accessibility mm. certainly that, that could be a, a great business opportunity for me <laughs> i mean in terms of, of of sort of sectors and stuff and in terms of your own experience what what do you see like do you see any sectors that are particularly good with their, their disability access or or sectors that are particularly bad i mean i'm thinking of sort of my experience of working in the airline that they've with wheelchair users, I don't know what the experience is like from the user end, but from the back end, the customer service end, there was a lot more kind of, there were complaints obviously of like, things didn't go to plan as they should be, but there were also a lot of people of like, oh, you know, you did an excellent job there. So I think that's, you know, some areas do kind of make a bit more of an effort with it and kind of some sectors, I mean, do better than other. Do you, do you kind of, does that reflect your experience? Yeah, um, I would probably say that to, just to touch on what we were saying about people travelling with wheelchair, I think that is something the travel industry here does quite well compared to other places. Because uh, I've read some horror stories with like people in the U United States uh, who use wheelchairs who, because the airlines didn't quite know what they were doing about to damage uh, wheelchairs and what have you. So I think that is something that we do well here. But I would say it is a bit kind of hit and miss within sectors. You'll have some that are really on the ball with accessibility and others that are just not at all. Seems to be small businesses. I think that struggle because the large businesses you tend to find that they're, they're well established mm. and they've had that kind of wide ranging client base, which means they've already been exposed to the pitfalls and the issues that disabled customers face. So they've already had the time to make sure they're providing the top level service to disabled customers and making sure their accessibility is on the ball. But that, that's not always the case. Sometimes you'll get big companies which do still drop the ball on accessibility issues. I mean, um, to give you an example, a couple of years ago now, I was staying at a um, hotel in London owned by a, a well-known hotel chain because I, I was sharing with another disabled person. We were in, in an accessible room, which had a wet floor bathroom and toilet. Now, this room was quite good. It was well-organized, well-laid out, quite accessible. The only problem was that because it was an accessible room with a wet floor bathroom, it had the emergency pull cord for disabled people if they obviously experience difficulties they can pull on the car it will summon assistance. This card was actually tied up in a wet floor bathroom 
Um, even if you fell over, you wouldn't have been able to reach the card, which I thought was highly inappropriate for that situation. Yeah. It's, it's not just a, a wet floor bathroom, it's a wet floor bathroom in a hotel room, so you're not going to have, say, um, members of the public going by, and if there was a problem, you could be there for hours. Yeah. Maybe days, depending on housekeeping services. Yeah. You know, yeah, if anyone goes in, yeah. Highly inappropriate for a service targeted at disabled customers that people that say staff members with disabling this kind of life-saving device for disabled people. Because mm. if it if it was tied up and you were on the floor, you wouldn't have been able to reach that. Yeah. I mean, do you think that's just something someone being careless and just sort of like putting it out of the way and then, or do you think it was more malicious kind of like, did, yeah, was it, it sort of look deliberately tied up or absent-mindedly? No, no, I think it's, it was probably a staff training issue that they were probably tying it up out of the way, not realising that the whole point of the course is that they're meant, they're meant to reach the floor. So if yeah. you fall onto the floor, they can reach and pull the card and it would work. Mm. So that, in that case, I'd try to say it's more of a training issue that could be resolved by, say, with me coming in and delivering training best practice and saying yeah if you you've got the card in but you can't tie them up you have to leave them trailing otherwise that they're, they're useless basically do you think a lot of it is awareness i mean like we've sort of touched on small businesses that perhaps might not have the money or they might not have the premises that can be easily kind of adjusted you know and then we're back to the wording of reasonable adjustment but do you think a lot of it can be overcome with just training because i've seen businesses where they have you know they have limitations because of their premises but you know the the staff have been trained sufficiently that they can kind of circumvent the restrictions that are there and, and make the service accessible so do you think the majority of it is about awareness about knowledge yeah i do believe having that a lot of it is yeah related to staff training staff knowledge and the fact that maybe that because they have this thing in the business they've believe they're accessible but if they're not using it correctly it's as though they, it might not be there so it's just um yeah i'd probably say more an awareness and training issue rather than a malicious intent uh, or deliberately malicious, malicious intent again i think that comes back to what i was saying about the the quality act 2010 if you don't have someone there who can explain it it can be quite a challenging piece of legislation to understand mm -hmm. And I think that's why you just need someone who can come in and break it down and say, okay, here's what, here's what the Act says. So here's what you need to do to make yourselves compliant and not, not get yourselves into trouble because you're denying an accessible customer or, or um, a disabled staff member. Mm -hmm. um, they're um, kind of reasonable adjustments. So um, have you designed your training courses yet like how how's the the design process going i would imagine some of that's about refinement as well of like you deliver a course and then you kind of adjust it but then it also has to be specific to the particular client so that must be quite difficult to kind of get the balance yeah i mean i've already got some kind of gen generic kind of template courses which mm. i could just kind of fine fine tune if a client asks about a specific thing or needs me to include 
something specific to them, I can fine tune it, I'd say. But certainly the the main, the kind of bare bones training I've got ready. Are there any kind of particular issues that we should highlight? Are there any sort of obvious things or anything that I'm trying to think? I, I'll tell you what I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think here if is there anything varying here that we're not covering or anything that I'm not asking about? Is there any, any area that we should be sort of exploring that I'm not touching on yet? Yeah, uh, I just want to go back to something you said earlier, Simon, about um, yeah, yeah, sure. said uh, about costs for small businesses. Now, a lot of people, when they think of accessibility, they think it's going to cost them a lot of money. But actually, yeah. a lot of things they could do for minimal or no cost. So it's again, it's kind of just dis- dispelling that illusion that to be accessible, you have to spend a lot of money on a lot of things, and it might only be like small changes that they can make for free but which would boost their accessibility greatly being able to suggest to small businesses which are probably really really struggling at the moment and saying no you don't actually have to spend all this money to be accessible you can only do this like small tidy thing which Mm. isn't going to cost you anything but will actually increase your accessibility and get those disabled customers through your doors yeah and i guess sometimes this is, this is what I was going to say that you'll find you'll go to a client and they'll be like there'll be easy wins that are already there maybe that they're not sort of you know that they're not shouting about and you're kind of like well you know you're already doing this and you're doing this and those are both really good and that's really good for accessibility and you might want to kind of promote that a bit more because you're already doing that work here's where you're weak and you could do this this and this on this to improve this so have you found that, I mean, I, I imagine that you'd, that you'd get those instances a bit like with any other sort of consultancy. So you're looking at a business and then you're like, well, you're already doing this. You just don't know and you're just not advertising. Have you found much of that? Yeah, um, a lot of things uh, businesses are doing either half right or they are doing it right, but they don't realise that they are. I mean, to say uh, a restaurant business, there's um, a restaurant near my house, which is quite nice, and I like to go there. They actually put their menu on the website, but how they present it is uh, an actual graphic of the physical menu, mm. which is not accessible. But if they put a PDF of the physical menu, that would be more accessible, even though it would say a sighted person, it would look like the same content, but be like a big leap forward in accessibility so it's just kind of saying to businesses who have got it kind of like half right okay you, you've done this which is okay but if you did this instead it achieves the same purpose but in a more accessible way so it's it's kind of congratulating them for at least thinking in the right way but actually just giving them the guidance to mm. get it right completely yeah i, I think you know, with some of it, it is, oh, what am I trying to say here? It's sort of, people are kind of, like you said, they've, they've sort of half thought about it. It's kind of, you know, you're, it, it's like you're on the way there. You were almost there, but then you just kind of stopped thinking about it and you didn't go that extra whatever amount of <laughs> distance. Like, yeah, I can imagine that happening quite a lot. It's sort of, you know, we've done a nice clear menu of something, but then we've spoiled it by you know, doing joined up writing or something, you know, like the font's really nice and good and like the colour scheme's good, so it looks good. 
and then it's all sort of joined up right and then you've just ruined it i mean are there like so in terms of your own your own disabilities have you been have you been disabled since birth or later in life or and did that sort of affect your work like did you you didn't lose your job because of this did you no, I'm, I've been disabled since birth. Uh, it's not really affected my work. It, it's something I've had to like work around in some instances. Um, but on a on a related point, like you say, um, for a lot of businesses, um, like like I said earlier, it's a roughly hundred thousand people per year become disabled through some fault. Um, a lot of businesses won't know how to support these newly disabled members of staff it's kind of they won't know their obligations under the equality act the employment act if they can't support these staff these staff may end up leaving resigning or being dismissed mm. and taking these businesses to tribunal which can be quite expensive business mm. businesses and it's like if these businesses had, had support they could maybe retaining staff who have become disabled and avoided any cost to tribunals kind of thing. So it's not just attracting disabled customers, it's like attracting and retaining disabled staff is a big problem as well for businesses. Yeah. So be another area for me to kind of come in and say, okay, here's what you need to do to uh, get these disabled people wanting to work for you and also how you support these disabled um, staff that you already have, making sure that you are treating them as an asset, retaining their skills and their knowledge. Yeah. And just not, not having to let them go because you can't support them or you don't know how to support them. Yeah. And it, again, it's, it's like a sort of a blind spot that, that just when pointed out, it's kind of like blatantly obvious. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, and especially in an age, you know, post post lockdown, where loads and loads of workplaces are talking about like how they treat their staff and whether they should be allowed to do this and what kind of flexibilities they should have, and all of this concentration on wellness and wellness being a big buzzword. And by the same token, you know, if you're going to look after your staff's health, then you have to do that, you know, through the whole journey, and that that includes like should something something severe happen that you need to make adjustments for then yeah that should be still in the same considerations for, for me if like well yeah we want to keep this staff member and they're in this position we don't know what to do oh look there's a service that can actually help us sort of retain this staff member and train other members of staff around the company of like how to deal with it and how to how to make reasonable adjustments and so on yeah, and it's, as I say, especially with, with at, at the moment, we've got this big unknown of long COVID, it kind of, yeah. we don't really know what the long-term effect of that going to be, and is that going to affect a proportion of the workforce, and are they going to need reasonable adjustments, and it may be a case that these businesses are going to need to learn how to support these uh, members of staff and keep mm. them employed, and make sure that they have a suitable working environment that works for them mm. and uh, keep, keeps them uh, say, employed and working. Could you do a similar thing then for someone that's self-employed? Because you kind of get the, you know, the, the, the story of the self-employed person who's like, you know, they've got a physical job and then they have an injury and it's like, oh, I can't do this job anymore. I mean, obviously they, they have skills in that area. They have knowledge in that area. 
there are things that they could still do potentially with reasonable adjustments. Are there opportunities for you to come in there and, you know, again, mitigate those circumstances? Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, if someone is say self-employed and has an injury or an illness, that means they need to change how they work and they're not sure what they can do or what's available to them. I could certainly come in and say, okay, here's what's happened, here's what you did, here's what you can do to keep doing and keep yourself in business because a lot of, I'll say, small businesses out there, it can just be literally one or two people. And if they get injured or they have to give up work, it's their livelihood that they may have invested a lot of time and money into. It's like a double disappointment for them because uh, they're having to stop work. They may have to go onto, say, universal credit or um, employment support allowance, so they're unemployed. But also, they're losing this business that they've put all this time and money into, and look up with their livelihood. And yeah, it can be a double challenge. And if I could help them stay in work and keep their business, then yeah, that would be. Certainly something I've been coming in here. Have you looked at any kind of like co-funding options of you being able to, because obviously you, you know, this is a service that you're providing. It's level of expertise that you're providing. You need to charge at a reasonable rate where you're, you know, you're getting paid for your time and your knowledge and for the work that you're doing. But also, as we've touched upon before, you know, with some disability issues, not, you know, that can affect your, your earnings potential, which affects your ability to sort of, you know, your spending potential essentially so i mean do you have plans to or are you designing things in a way that you can kind of you've got a bit of a contradiction there in that you need to charge which means you need to be exclusive in that you're charging but also your whole thing is you know your your mission is accessibility which is to kind of get to everyone and make it as wide as possible so are you also thinking about like you know, I suppose the the sort of giving back, like, you know, or making things easier for people who are at the lower end of the budget spectrum. Have you considered any of that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, to me, accessibility is, it affects everyone. And it shouldn't be that because someone can't afford it that they can ignore it kind of thing. So it would be something I would look at in terms of making what I do as affordable and ironically as accessible as possible (laughs) (laughs) from a a cost perspective i mean with a with a with a workplace sort of adjustment like that i'm thinking i'm basically thinking of counseling and stuff like would you i'm just thinking where you where you kind of draw the line between you know offering training and offering some sort of, uh, I want to say counselling, but I'm not sure there's a, a, I might be trying to draw a false distinction here, but I'm kind of thinking of like, you know, you would go into a workplace and you sort of training with the person and maybe train with the team of like, these are the adjustments that need to be made. Oh, I, I just suppose what I'm asking here is in terms of, so you're doing the kind of the practical support, the, the pragmatic support. Are you offering or are you kind of signposting to any kind of like emotional support or is that more, you know, is that part of someone's care plan or? I would guess in a lot of ways that could be um, a part part of their care plan, but certainly if I went into somewhere and 
noticed that there was a problem, say, from a mental health perspective, I would certainly see if I could suggest or signpost anywhere that may be of benefit because it's not just about physical wellness, it's about mental wellness as well. And if, if you've not got one, or uh, if you have, say, suddenly become physically disabled, it can have a knock-on effect. Um, oh, absolutely, yeah. Wellness as well. So certainly it would be kind of looking at things from like a whole, whole package perspective, just making sure that the person has the reasonable adjustments, but also as the resources there if they need it for the, like, the extra mental wellness and just making sure that they are not just physically able to stay in work but mentally as well. So would you do like a level of risk assessment then I guess? Of, I don't know if I, here's, here's a risk of this person doing this now that they're in this position or here's a risk of someone coming into this building with the adjustments you made. I mean like are you would you just flag something like that or would you would you go into a kind of detailed risk assessment on things? Uh, I probably wouldn't go into any detailed risk assessment because that would be uh, an expense which I would have to pass on <laughs> to uh, yeah, yeah. yeah the business. So I'll probably just make some kind of generic recommendation and say if you need more support or you need a natural risk assessment, here's where you can go to get that done. So... In terms of your um, ecological footprint or your sustainability, is that something that you've considered for the business? Is that something that you're thinking about, um, oh, you know, absolutely. either far off in the future or now? So you're already thinking about it now. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, um, sustainability is a big problem that we, we need to solve. We've, we've got a climate and eligibility. Uh, climate and ecological emergency um, 2030 is coming soon if, if we don't cap that temperature raise and we, we could be in serious trouble as a planet um, so it's vital that business does its part um, to minimise their carbon emissions and um, take care of their part of the planet as it were. So how how does that sort of interplay into your business like what what can you do or are you doing are there sustainability wins from accessibility issues oh yeah i mean if people can be more accessible in, in virtual meetings that could mean that they have to do less physical meetings which could mean that there's less travel involved for the participants if they can stay at a remote location dial into a meeting and that meeting be fully accessible Mm. That would be certainly sustainability in there. I mean, I don't actually drive myself, so I, I use public transport to get around, uh, be it the bus or the train. So I, I do a lot of my travelling, as I say, on public transport, which uh, is good for the good for the planet, although not, not always good for me. There is times where <laughs> I wish I could just jump in the car and go somewhere, but yeah. So um, it's kind of just looking at it from a, um, kind of a whole process perspective and just look at okay here's what I'm doing could I do it in a way that is more sustainable or mm. is there any changes that I can make to make it less uh, more sustainable but I suppose that the big thing because you, you know because your focus is accessibility I would guess that you know the, the big sort of sustainability aspect of that is 
is inclusion you know it's the idea of sort of to change everything we need everyone and it's like well we need everybody working on this so you know we shouldn't be closing anyone out to it and that and that you know from political actions to political meetings to see sort of you know business advisory and sustainability work so yeah I, yeah there are there are crossovers i'm sure i've got some it's one of those things of like when we when we wind down the conversation, I'll think of six of the questions that I should have asked. You know, <laughs> like I should have asked him this. <laughs> so what I do is I like I've got I've got some idiot boards of like um, just you know cards with like brief questions on. But we covered sort of most of those. Have you got any? Are there any promotions? Any like campaigns? Anything coming up that you want to kind of? I'll say well, once I've got all my training material together, I will be pushing that quite hard and yeah. uh, to get that out and get the message out to businesses that uh, if they are struggling with either sub, um, supporting disabled staff or attracting disabled customers, I'll be there for them. And if they need that support, then uh, give me a call or drop me an email. What about sort of recruitment for disabled recruitment? Hey, can you? What what can you do on that level? Is that just again advice, or is that sort of referral, putting you in touch with people who can sort of do that for you? Or uh, I mean, I could uh, as a disabled person who has applied for numerous jobs in the past, <laughs> I can certainly deliver training on that front, kind of like the do's and the don'ts. And uh, employers could attract potential disabled staff members because disabled people are frequently encountering barriers to getting employed and it can be just the small reasonable adjustments that can mean the difference between a disabled person kind of slotting into a business. There is um, a small business up in York which I recently read about who had uh, a disabled staff member apply for the job who was a wheelchair user and that they were the best candidate so the business went out of their way to make the reasonable adjustments for this staff member and this staff member is uh, a real part of the team now and they felt really welcome and inclusive so if i can help other businesses get to that point where if they see a, a disabled person cv they're not thinking who uh, can, can we set this person on kind of thing it mm. would i would want them to look at anyone's cv just saying yeah we can get this person in for interview and if we can and if we give them the role we can make the adjustments that may need to be made for these person to um, start employment are you going to be able to put a figure on that though like i mean obviously when you're dealing with a business can you sort of go right you need to do this 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 here's the ballpark figure of what what this will cost you to make this is that is that going to be easy to do or is that going to have a lot of variety in it because you might have so many different suppliers yeah obviously some things will have numerous different suppliers offering the same kind of product or service but i would certainly do do the shopping around if i could do for the business and say okay here's what you need to do here's some suppliers i found that offer this uh, these are the prices kind of thing so it, it would be for me trying to take away as much as much of the legwork from the businesses because at the end of the day that they're, they're, they're already hired me to consult and give them my opinion on what they need to do so i think i would be remiss if i didn't fully research the options for them as much as i could do feasibly 
let's go back to the sort of lockdown here. Have you, has, did lockdown give you any opportunity to do things like, okay, so I know that if I'm advising a business and they want me to look at how accessible uh, their services to their customer base, I know I'm going through their like customer journey model and looking at the places of where accessibility needs to sort of come in. And from a similar end, you've got, you know, mentioning recruitment there of like, okay, so you want to attract more disabled staff. Well, let's look at your recruitment process and how we sort of go into that. Did, did lockdown give you any opportunity to do that kind of analysis work or was it just getting up and waiting for something to happen? Because there is that battle of like motivation through it. So how was, how was that? Yeah, I mean, in terms of finding out who was good and who was bad, it, it, it was a bit difficult with lockdown because obviously everywhere is closed. So mm. it's not like I was able to go down and do like a mystery shopper thing that as a disabled person coming in and saying, oh, I'd like to do that well, oh no, they don't do this well, they need to do mm. this. So I was relying on what I could find on the internet, which was probably a bit too generalised for me to be able to say contact this business and say oh, oh i've read that we don't do this too well so during lockdown what, what i was doing had to be really generic i wasn't able to yeah. i would say really build up a, a detailed picture to actually go in and say okay mm -hmm. i looked at your business i found out what you do right i found out what you do wrong kind of thing because everywhere was closed it's been really hard to yeah just just get that hands-on Kind of experience mm. it feels a little bit redundant you get these exercises and when you're starting up with a business there's all these different you know you're looking for advice you're hearing advice and getting advice and there's all these sort of things saying map out your ideal customer or do this and it's like i don't know because until i do it i don't actually have any real it's like make some data up it's like how does that help them yeah <laughs> that's just pretend i need a real thing i like yeah. practical experience yeah you can't <laughs> making things up or it's you know so i'll not have anything at all because it would give you the same result because <laughs> yeah I, I mean it's it's making work for yourself isn't it it's, it's kind of like oh the shop's not busy so i'll sweep up <laughs> yeah <laughs> to look busy <laughs> um so in terms of your working hours what are you doing working hours? are you doing like monday to friday or are you working like is it nine five monday to friday or how are you doing working hours? nine five monday to friday occasional weekends if there's something that can't wait till monday <laughs> mm. because there will be like you know because there are plenty of businesses that aren't nine to five sort of thing and i would imagine that there'd be a lot of opportunity for you online and for doing sort of remote works and remote analysis where is your business sort of oriented at the moment just in your mind even are you thinking for example when i was starting this my imagination was just kind of walking around walking into businesses doing doing interviews with people face to face in you know whatever environment and then the lockdown came and i was like oh i can't do it anymore i can't do any of the things that i wanted to do you know yeah. immediately not thinking of zoom and stuff have you thought about any of those sort of opportunities are you more sort of focused on the real world or like how what are you thinking yeah i mean with lockdown it's been really hard because obviously I, I would be able to go into a lot of businesses and take a look around kind of thing but certainly for the training aspect the, the zoom option is 
something I've been looking at, certainly in the short term, as uh, things open up, I imagine I would probably be able to transition that uh, mm. to um, kind of in-person training. But yeah, so certainly looking at virtual working uh, mm. in the short term has been kind of at the forefront. Yeah, is your business at the moment, are you city focused, region focused, nationally focused? Or have you um, thought about that potential international slash global market as well? Yeah, I think in my, my national focus, I think looking internationally would be a really difficult thing. So um, certainly a, a national focus mm. for me would be a, a really good thing. And at the moment with, with COVID, it, it's kind of like any opportunities that come along, I would take them. I don't think I would unnecessarily limit ourselves to say just focusing on local businesses or regional businesses and do deprive myself of potential work. I don't think that would be a good thing in the present circumstances. Do you think the sort of digital sector has by doing the accessibility thing a lot better because obviously, you know, most people like for example, if you're blind you will have readers and so on or you or you'll have software most likely if you're using a computer to 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 make it accessible for you. Do you think that the digital sectors get it more right in terms of accessibility or do you think that there are, there are huge blind spots there as well? I think that this kind of the digital sector uh, has really stepped up, I think in recent months with COVID and having to adapt how we work, how we meet people. Certainly the digital sector has really kind of stepped up to the plate, had a look at accessibility issues, seeing what the state of play was and kind of moving forward because me when last year when Zoom started out the automatic captioning didn't exist at the time and I'd say now we've got Otter for Zoom yeah. and Teams which is not a perfect solution but it is more accessible than not having any captioning at all. It's pretty amazing as well though isn't it to say it's just doing it from what we're saying it, it's amazing really. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a real boon in a way for the digital sector. You would hope that other sectors have taken this kind of pause, as it were, to maybe reevaluate their accessibility, but truthfully, they've probably just been too focused on staying in the black and staying <laughs> um, tradable. <laughs> I know it's it's one of those like if only we'd known, you know. The the main thing about the lockdown is just the like total inability to plan, and even with opening up again, because you kind of like, well, we could be locked down again in winter. <laughs> so it's like that inability. Because if we'd known what was going to happen, and like when we were opening stuff, we'd be like, right, okay, well, I've got these few weeks, and I need to get that done by then, so that when we're open, I'm ready for it. And you're just like, you don't know what's going on so you just you do stuff when you can yeah. um but yeah had we known we would have done all sorts of things differently i know i would yeah because i mean ju just like over the past 18 or so months near me there's been like half a dozen businesses at least small businesses that have had to close the doors because they can't continue trading them so it's at the minute every all the focus is on keeping heads above water in, in a business sense we're all focusing on keeping our heads above water thank you to richard for being my guest and thank you to all my guests so far who i have not actually thanked on the podcast episodes i have thanked them 
It's just that I've not let you hear it. So there it is now. A big old thanks to all my guests, everybody who's been on so far. Uh, it's been a fair old slog to get to this point, 20 episodes. Deaths and marriages, breakups and lockdowns. But now I'd really like to get the next 20 or more of these episodes out before the end of this year. We have the time to do so, but I need you to come onto the show. I can record pretty much whenever, so just get in touch now. If you're listening to this show, then I assume you have some connection to Leeds, like living here or being from here. If you're that person in Leeds or from Leeds and you haven't done a record for this show yet, please send me a message now and let's record your working hours session. Just think, if you're interviewed now and then you're still alive at the end of this decade and we still have electric power, breathable air and our heads above water, then you will be able to listen back to your interview and be all nostalgic about how different everything is now. Please remember to like, share and subscribe to this show. Please consider becoming a champion for this project and this show on Patreon. It's only a quid a month for loiners. So go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod to sign up and offer regular support. If you become a champion, you'll be helping me to get to the stage of publishing two episodes a week. At that point, as a Loiner champion, you'll be getting eight early release episodes of Working Hours each month for just a quid, and you would have helped the show to get there. If you like the idea of this show, then why wouldn't you sign up and help it out? I will get to a thousand of these, but that doesn't depend on me, it depends on you. If you can and do help me, then I will hit that goal. If you like, share and provide financial contributions, I can improve my ability to reach those thousand Loiners. And of course, for any Loiner listening to this, the biggest help is if you actually come on this podcast. It's not scary, it's not stressful, and your voice will sound so much better with intro and outro music bracketing it. You can also appear anonymously if that helps. I'm really interested to hear from anyone in Leeds or from Leeds in whatever industry, sector or role you are in. What is your experience? How do you feel about work? What do you like and not like? What do you do, Leeds? Email this podcast now, workinghourspod at western-studios.com with your short bio and suggestions of your availability. Or just send me feedback, questions, comments, queries, whatever. You can follow this show on Twitter at workinghours3 and on Instagram at workinghourspodleads. Next time on Working Hours, two more episodes are dropping. Different leads time, same leads channel. Working Hours is presented, edited and recorded by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org.